Welcome to the School of the Word. This is Lesson 38 in our teaching series, As in the Days of Noah, titled, Are You in a Cult? Our teacher is Alan Smith. Amen and amen. Good morning, Bible class. Good to see you here, ready to engage into God's Word and to uh, test these things that I say. Amen? You will. will. That's exactly right. That is very important. Well, you might not be checking close enough. (laughs) Uh, Well, as we begin this morning on this continual trail of the times and these days uh, that we are in, we find ourselves this week, right? A week, just right, a few days before the election uh, that's coming upon us, and uh, I think it's a very important election. I hope everyone will go out and and vote. And uh, just the only thing you have to do is vote how Jesus would vote. I guess you could say, what would Jesus do? Just vote for the policies and and uh, everything. So, um, yes, we're moving forward as in the days of Noah and these days that we're living in and all that is going on around us, it seems to me. You would like to see that the foundation, when you're building a house or a building, you build found a foundation first. And you want to have a foundation in which the house will not be shaken. Then you build a house upon the foundations. And and it seems to me that if America could topple in this day and time and this atmosphere, it would. Just so happens our foundations are pretty good. We've got a solid foundation. Our foundations are good. And as long as we have these foundations upon for this house, if you will, of America to stand, I believe it'll stand. But what we're finding is that now we have people digging at the very foundations, trying to dig them up, build a house upon no foundation. And uh, we know what that will look like in the end. But today we are still standing under this great shaking even though uh, we need to take heed at what we're seeing. Now, in this day of the right before the second coming of Christ, uh, as we're viewing last week, we talked about uh, different cultures, uh, different ideas. We talked about uh, Alexander the Great, how his ideology of and his thinking of uh, making all world cultures that he conquered acceptable cultures, and with that he accepted uh, basically the faith of the different cultures that he captured, the different religious cultures, if you will, and practices. But it all came under his rule, and the way he allowed them to stay comfortable was he allowed them to keep their religious practices. So there is something I want to attempt even this morning is for us to uh, be able to look at this idea of religious practices. How does that come into the culture of the country? 
what is happening, what is there in mankind, uh, what is this about mankind that uh, has this religious bent to ourselves? I know there's some people that would like to say that they have no religion, uh, not only uh, but to worship themselves or others, uh, or some somebody that they've put up. It's just in our it's in our makeup uh, to worship something or somebody, and so we want to understand that thought as we're moving forward into today's teaching and understanding. So here I say Christianity has always invaded world cultures. Kind of the idea for us to go throughout the world and make disciples of all men, the Great Commission. So when we see the Great Commission, the idea of us invading cultures, I went over some ways that the Catholic Church did that last week, how they would go in and capture a story or something of the nation. They would then turn it into a something biblical or a biblical narrative, a biblical story. I understand some of that. It was very effective. And uh, I understand uh, that uh, it wasn't necessarily that the that Christianity was to change the culture of a nation as it was to change the morality and the integrity of the people in that nation. Um if as Christians, if we're not careful, we think that everybody must use the laws or the Judea beliefs. Um, but it here, but I want us to have this concept and understand this. We are the reality is we're to be the salt of the earth. That's the reality. Another reality soon to be is. Christ is going to rule and reign for a thousand years with his seat in Jerusalem. Uh, that is a reality. Until that reality or this second coming, we are more with this idea of we're the salt of the earth or we are ambassadors. Now, the, the American exper- experiment, as it was called uh, back in the uh, 1800s, it was referred to um, as the America experiment. And one reason it was referred to as that is because this was a country that was established on Christian uh, idealism. And so this country was established on, and that's little, that's different. So it was called a, a, an experiment. So now let's, but let's look at where our country, America, is with Christianity, with Christendom, with cultures. We're going to try to jump into that just a little more this morning and see what we come up with. So, now Christianity has always invaded world cultures. We see in 2 Corinthians 5.20. Now, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, uh, be ye reconciled to God. So we see here the Apostle Paul refers to believers of that day as ambassadors. An ambassador gives you the idea that you are representing a foreign country in the country that you are in. Everybody, I'm sure, sees that. That's what an ambassador is. So we see ourselves as ambassadors of the kingdom of God upon this earth in the United States. But still, it gives this idea we're not at home. Right, we're foreigners. We're in a foreign country. That's what an ambassador 
An ambassador is a representative of another country in a, another country. So keep that thought in mind. Paul refers to us as ambassadors. Ephesians 6.20, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, uh, that uh, therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. So he's speaking boldly because he is an ambassador from another country in a country. So can you, can you feel how the boldness comes there? The boldness comes because he's very proud of the country that he is serving, that he comes from, and he is speaking for this other country that he is a citizen of. And he does it boldly. He doesn't... Uh, but as Christians, we need to understand we are in a foreign country. You say, well, Alan, America is based on biblical principles. Understand that. But you're still in a foreign country. You're in a foreign country. Now, what happens in America, we tend to uh, think that we're, as Americans, we tend to think that we're the new Jerusalem, right? Uh, I mean, I'm just saying how we tend to think if we're not careful, that America is the new Jerusalem, uh, that our uh, representatives... Uh, in our Senate and Congress, that they're, they're our representatives of our kingdom. Uh, we tend to think that Abraham Lincoln set us free, right? <laughs> uh, we tend to think that the President of the United States should be our high priest. That's right. I can keep going. I mean, it just comes to me. We can keep going. Well, as long as he, you know, as long as the President of the United States, something about it says, God bless America at the end of his speech, we feel like everything's all right, you see, because he's our high priest. And uh, it's amazing as a Christian nation as we are, how we stereotype people in our governments and our representatives kind of under a biblical narrative, so to speak, and we lose sight of we're supposed to influence our America, our government. We think we are the new Jerusalem, so therefore we are. Instead of we're from a foreign country and we're trying to influence where we are. That's the reality. And I am as much believe that America is a Christian nation founded on Christian principles as anybody need my coffee. And, uh, but I want to keep it straight. I don't know, I can, I can almost feel just a little hesitation with what I'm saying. Uh, we just must remember, uh, wow, I use French vanilla instead of cream. That's not going to work. Oh, wow. <laughs> Boy, that'll throw you out of the spirit. In a heartbeat. <laughs> what was I saying? Okay, let me move on. Maybe I was needing out of that spirit. Now, let's do our time period again. I like to do this at the beginning. Uh, we're in the time of deceptions, delusions, illusions, false perceptions, progressive reinterpretation, selfish prophets, running prophets, third-day prophets, the Bacon Church, and today I'm going to put the woke culture. Now, the woke culture, I hope I get to the ending of this because I'm probably not going to address it just exactly as you might 
I want to address it, but I want to give you something to think about. You say, oh, no, is Alan pro woke? Is he con? Is he, where is he uh, on this woke culture? Well, I'm on the third side, if you want to know where I'm at. That's where I'm at. Now, we started this last week. I just mentioned that Christianity invades cultures, and we went over this. Uh, you remember the first person? Anybody? Chuck Smith. He uh, started what? Calvary Chapel, California. Calvary Chapel. Calvary Chapel had grown to 1,700 affiliate churches. 1,700. And what he was known for was he would teach Bible. Uh, Chuck Smith, was he was known as a great Bible teacher. I put this plug in here. Uh, he always used King James Bible, if you want to know what kind of Bible he used. I'll put that plug in there for a King James Bible. And I'm... I hope y'all know I'm halfway teasing, and uh, then we, <laughs> and then, all right, who's this other person? That is Lonnie Frisbee from. Uh, he lived from 1949 to 1993. Now, Lonnie Frisbee was a uh, Chuck Smith. He he was known as this Bible teacher. He just started teaching Bible. Well, people started enjoying that, and they started coming to. Did you get me another coffee? I did. I did help my never. Can somebody say amen? That's just all right. I love French vanilla when it first came out, and then I got foundered on it. Wow, boy, that one's right. Thank you so much. There you go. Uh, but Chuck Smith would teach Bible. People were so interested in it in that time. Do you do you all remember? Uh, 70s, 80s, how we all used to sit around, we'd bring it together, we'd bring a pencil and a pad and we'd take notes and we brought our Bible and we had about three other books with them. You remember as we came to church, it was exciting times. Well, he was a teacher, a great teacher of the Bible. And you had Lonnie Frisbee. Now, he was in California on the coast. Lonnie Frisbee was of a, of a hippie culture down on the beach. And uh, uh, actually, Chuck's wife, I forget her name, escapes me, but his wife uh, kept saying to, to Chuck, her husband, let's go down to the coast and, and, uh, and, and see those young people on the beach. And, and Chuck said, okay, I'll go with you to see those weird people. And uh, that was his response to it. So he would go basically with his wife. She would go down there. Uh, long story short. Uh, he ended up inviting Lonnie, and I think his wife, he was married at that time, Frisbee, to his home. They stayed with him, I think, for about a year. But Lonnie was an evangelist on the beach of, of, of California. He would lead many, many, many what was called uh, the subculture of the hippie movement of that time, Jesus people, if you will. And... Uh, he led a lot of them to Christ, just multitudes, and they baptized them in the in the ocean. And but that was uh, my point in using this is that was a, a uh, two cultures coming together. You had Chuck uh, Smith with one type culture, and then you had Lonnie Frisbee of a totally different radical culture, opposite of his culture. Uh, but yet the gospel uh, crossed over the cultures. And so the, the amazing part 
is to see that the gospel of Jesus Christ is more than culture. And somebody saw what I'm saying. And so when you start seeing that the gospel of the kingdom of God is, is more than culture, we see with Lonnie and Chuck, all of a sudden you got two opposite cultures, but yet what tied them together was the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we see that, that the gospel of Jesus Christ is not, does not hang to culture, even though we can create a culture around the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, sometimes we'll even think that that culture is Jesus Christ. Are you with me? America is not Jesus Christ. You can hear me. America is not Jesus Christ. Was America uh, built on foundation of Christ in the Bible? The answer is yes, but it is not Jesus Christ. I don't worship America. I worship Jesus Christ. And it's important that we make those distinctions. Uh, will you die for your country? Well, yes. Will I die for the cross of Christ? I sure hope so. And so we see these different ideas. And, and, and the reason I would die for my country is because it establishes my faith of Jesus Christ. But yet, there's a difference between the culture, the country, and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I want us to keep those distinctions as we move forward. So we got Chuck Smith, got Lonnie Frisbee. Now, Calvary Chapel and Lonnie Frisbee. So this is the, as I'm using this, is the two cultures come together. The gospel of Jesus Christ crosses culture. That's reason you can go into a totally different country and take the gospel. Now, the problem when, as, as you had the influence let's say, of our country and, and, and uh, you know, the Native Americans uh, to our country, which I have uh, several very close friends I consider them. I've had one here at the church, uh, Native Americans that are, are Christians and are, and are believers. But uh, when we came, when Christianity came to this country, it tended to bring a culture with it that wasn't necessarily the gospel of Jesus Christ, even to the point of uh, these uh, these Indians. Uh, they were, you've heard of the Trail of Tears. Everybody knows how all that works out and the Cherokee Nations and all these. And then how we actually took their children away from them, gave them English names. Can somebody say that's bad? So see, what we did, we, we thought that our culture, when, I, when Christianity was brought in on a culture, but instead of just bringing uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ, they had to be converted into their culture before they believed that they were born again. And can you see that? So for somebody to adopt your culture so you'll be convinced that you got the goods, there's something wrong with that. Uh, one of the places as America, as United States, has went into other countries to try, try to set them free. Uh, we have at times set them free, but at times we've always, always wanted to impose another culture instead of the gospel. Now, the, the gospel will survive in a lot of cultures, even though we want everybody to have a, just exactly a duplicate of our culture, uh, of our country. Do I think that it's a good way to do it? I do. 
But as Christians, I just want us to understand and get this idea of we're to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're not trying to persuade somebody unto our culture. That's the reason you can have all kinds of music. Music is representations of culture. Do I think that the gospel can be in basically any music? I do. Uh, there's a couple I'd have to, I can't get it. I mean, I'll be honest, I can't find the gospel in it, but others can. So I'm okay with that. Because I understand how the gospel works. It crosses over cultures. And the idea, and I've said this before, Jack Taylor, a good friend of mine, he went on to be in glory a few years ago. And did I have Jack speak here? I don't know if I ever had Jack Taylor here or not. Did he? I can't remember if we did. But Jack Taylor, he was in his 87, 8 when he passed. Uh, up to that age, he was in the youngest culture group in the United States preaching the gospel. And he'd always say, Alan, boy, aren't they doing good? And I'd sit there, and I, me being younger than him, I'd say, well, I don't know how you're saying this is good, Jack. But if you say it is, I guess it is. But, but, the, but the idea was that the gospel was truly there, the commitment of heart. Now, keep this in mind. That's what happened at Calvary Chapel. Beginning in 1965, Southern California, his fellowship of churches grew out of Chuck Smith, Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. Charles Ward, or Chuck Smith, there's his dates, was an American pastor who founded the Calvary Chapel movement beginning the, with the 25-person Costa Mesa congregation in 1965. Smith influence now extends to more than 1,700 churches worldwide, some of which are among the largest churches in the United States. He has been called one of the most uh, influential figures in modern Christianity. Now, uh, Chuck Smith was a word-based preacher. Lonnie Frisbee was also. Now, I want to, I'm, I'm doing this for cultural reasons, not historical reasons for Calvary Chapel. Uh, now, some today are saying that Lonnie Frisbee just never accepted his homosexuality. Lonnie Frisbee was a... His lifestyle had been in homosexuality. Uh, he actually died of AIDS. Uh, uh, Calvary Chapel, he was fundamentally one of the great com uh, people that was used to grow that to this 1700. Uh, he, he had influence in California in certain generations. And uh, he therefore influenced a lot of the music that was in Calvary Chapel, a lot of different uh, groups. Um, just the, what all came out of Calvary Chapel in those days was just incredible. And so Lonnie Frisbee, this other younger generation, brought the gospel, helped this thing uh, grow. But he was a homosexual. He had been a homosexuality, got born again, got married. Uh, but he always stated that he would have uh, he would have to uh, battle homosexual tendencies. So that's my point. I want you to eat. So Lonnie Frisbee, great carrier of the gospel, many born again with him, uh, died of AIDS. Uh, he, but he himself confessed that yes, he was born again. He'd been forgiven of his lifestyle, but he also confessed that the uh, urge or whatever you will uh, to draw the attraction of uh, self-sex uh, attraction, he still had that. But he did not uh, act upon it. Through his life, even after marriage, I think, uh, there again, I'm working off of long ago memory at this point, uh, 
uh, he had uh, he he had a, I think a couple relapses. I don't remember how many uh, into a, a homosexual one nighter, if you will, uh, where I think that was where he con- he got AIDS. And um, but yet he would repent and uh, carry the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now. What I'm wanting us to compare and to look at is this. It is being said today that there are three types of Christian homosexuals. Now, I heard uh, this one uh, commentary on Lonnie Frisbee. And what was said was the problem with Lonnie Frisbee was he would never accept that he was just a homosexual. Now, the reason I'm saying that to you is so you'll catch that language. It was said to him back in the day, he said, well, the problem with Lonnie Frisbee was he just not would accept that he was a homosexual. Well, he accepted that he was a homosexual. He had those tendencies. What he rejected was he had to live in that lifestyle. Can you hear that? Now, uh, for you to, for any of us to have the enticement or, or um, allurement of sin, to say that you aren't, that you have no tendencies to sin, if you tell me that, somebody's t- I can tell it, call you a liar. Because we all have tendencies or, or you know, we ha- still have the enemy trying to entice us and to allure us into sin. And guess what? Our, uh, our flesh gives it attention, right? It gives it attention. But it doesn't mean we act on it. doesn't mean we act on it. Now that's important because just like with Lonnie Frisbee, he said, I might be fighting this the rest of my life, but I will serve my Savior and fight it. That was his determination. He was going to fight ever what, ever what he, ever how he was being enticed, that he would fight it as long as he lived. Now I want you to understand that Christian mindset. We're sitting here. We can all say that sin will knock at our door. Just because you have been enticed or tempted with sin does not, there's a difference in being tempted and acting upon it. Has everybody ever, anybody in here ever felt like you wanted to kill somebody? Let's just go to an extreme here right quickly. My hopes is nobody in here has acted on it. But yet we know the Ten Commandments says that thou shalt not kill. And so we, so we want to make a distinction between being tempted and acting upon it. So as Christians and carrying the gospel, when, and that's the reason even with homosexuality, we pray for a homosexual and maybe those tendencies never leaves the person. Well, then we want to say, well, they got a demon and they hadn't been delivered. Well, my answer to you is, well, what about all your demons then? Right? You got to under it. Now, do I think there can be a demon of homosexuality? Yeah. There can be a demon of murder too. Here, here, here's my point. Just because you're tempted doesn't mean there's a demon in you. Was Jesus tempted? Was there a demon in him? No. So we've got to. So when we pray 
for all of us in our sin or whatever. Do I think that sin sets us free? I do. I think we're at that point empowered to not walk in that sin when tempted, just like Christ. What did he do? Jesus used the Word of God. Now, we maybe haven't experienced the power of the Word of God coming against temptation in our life, but it doesn't change the truth or the fact that the Word of God, that when we pray for people, do I think they're set free? The answer is yes, I do. But then there's a responsibility of the believer, of the person. And so anyway, I want to just make that point. I want to belabor it too long here. But the point being, he still had to deal with temptation throughout his life. A few times he failed, which he had a huge penalty. But yet he led people to Christ. It's being said even today, I saw this just two weeks ago, well, Lonnie Frisbee was a homosexual, you know. His problem was he just wouldn't own up to it. And what was said was what he should have done was owned up to his homosexuality and then married a man and then just come to church and they'd be fine. That's what was said. <clears throat> There's three types of, I'm going to use homosexuality as an example just because it's an easy one. Uh, number one is uh, behavior is sin. You got one homosexual like Lonnie, he'll say, well, my behavior was sin. Then you got uh, other ones now, you must be married. But as long as you're married, you're not living in adultery. Anybody hear what I'm saying? The other one is behavior does not matter because Jesus died for all sin. In other words, you can be a homosexual, come to church, sleep around, be promiscuous or whatever you want to do. But because Jesus died for all sin and that and so that concept, now that's in the American church and the church in the world today, what I just read you. There Lonnie Frisbee's criticized and he's the only one that's carrying the right message. It's amazing to me. So we have some of this type of thinking within us or not even knowing it. Uh, uh, so now I want to keep that in mind. I'm moving a little slow here. I got to hurry. And then we got into Christendom a little bit and Christianity last week. We need to understand the deception and the difference. <clears throat> now, remember what I said there. We need to remember the deception and the difference between Christianity and Christendom. Now, judgment is coming. We must make a distinction between Christianity. Now, Christendom will experience the wrath to come. And there again, I've, I've told you all that I'm pre-rapture, and I believe, and I'm sure that I'm accurate between give take seven or eight years. And then the truth about the pre about the rapture of the church, I believe the rapture of the church is a reality. And a lot of people say, well, out in the church will go through tribulation. Yeah, Christendom will. The form of godliness will go through tribulation. There's no doubt about it. But you got to make a distinction in Christendom and Christianity. Christendom is the world of Christianity. And... uh Jehovah Witness, Mormon, anything that you want to throw some Jesus in with would come under the banner of Christendom in the world. Now, Matthew 7, 21 says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? Have you not ever wondered who that crowd is? That's the crowd that take, has a form. It's Christendom. And, and you look, in other words, you just because you got a collar turned around backwards does not mean you're a Christian, right? It's a form of godliness. It's easily identifiable. 
Now, let's look at Christendom. It's the universal worldwide body or society of Christians. I went over that in the last few weeks with Alexander the Great. Now it came up through our ranks. Christendom is the universal worldwide body or society of Christians. It's the, what we would call the Christian world. The word Christian used very loosely there. Then we got the Christian is a person who is a believer in Jesus Christ and follows his teaching. Now we're going to look at the word culture. So we've got Christendom, we've got Christian, now we've got something else to bring into this mix of things, and it's called culture. Now look at culture here. It's the custom, arts, social institutions, and achievements of a particular nation, people, or social group. In other words, you have things in common. Now, it's amazing how arts are always in there with it, with us, with a certain culture uh, group. And we're going to tear this apart a little bit and look at culture. Now, there again, keep in mind, culture has a big thing to do here. People of a culture or a cult. I want to, say, I want to take you into a little, little teaching here on understanding what the word cult means. We've all heard of the word cult. And your brain always goes to something negative, demonic, occult. So we're going to look and see the origin. The word cult comes from the word culture. Uh, the word cult is a people group of a certain culture. That's what you call a cult. Well, you're in this culture. Well, you're, you're, this is your cult. Now, I want you to see the origin of the word. I want you to understand how we got this thing out there, separation of church and state. I understand it. I understand the attempt. Uh, but I'm going to show you how it's impossible. Now, I want, but I want you to see why, and I'm going to try to convey a spiritual truth here. Now, cult refers to religious groups who believe in the mystical, the spiritual, the paranormal, or the supernatural. This is the definition of a cult. Can you see that? Cult refers to religious groups who believe in the mystical, the spiritual, uh, the paranormal, or the supernatural. Now, what I want you to see is the word cult is part of the word culture, right? word cult is part of the word culture. The definition is religious groups who believe in mystical, Spiritual, paranormal, or supernatural. That's not a necessarily a Christian definition. That's just the definition of the word uh, cult. Now, culture refers to a community. The word cult is referring to the religious side of a culture. I'm talking about, this is where this word started, about in the 1700s. I think I got it up there. Very important. Very, very important. The name cult or the people of a culture is the cult is the religious people of a culture, which will show you that every culture has a religion. That's right. Now, watch it. Culture means civilization as well as worship. So a so a culture is a, when, you, when you have a, 
Well, let me move on to my definition. So, we, All right, what does this mean? Originally, religion was integral to all things political and economic. We know that historically. That a religion, originally religion was integral to all things political and economic. Today, we have this idea that we want to have a separation of church and state. I just submit to you it's impossible because we have a culture in America. You say, well, we're a multifaceted culture. Well, we're multifaceted gods then. But we are predominantly Christian based on our foundations. You see, it just so happens that Christianity will allow, on a political basis, will allow for other religions. But other religions won't allow for Christianity. You know why everybody picks on Christians? Because we'll return your your we'll return the fight with love. That's, that's the reason the world picks on Christians and not Muslims. They'll cut your head off. Mess with them. Right? They'll cut your head off. With Christians in turn, they'll love you. Right? So that's the reason Christianity is the religion of choice to pick on. Because of our nature. And so if you've got a Christian nation, because of love, will allow other religions to exist in the land of Christianity. Now, God said with that thing with Israel, He said, well, okay, but don't marry. Don't intermingle, right? Now, let's watch how this thing works. Originally, religion was integral to all things political and economic, and it is, it is today also, but there, there's a group of people that's trying to tear it out. And I'm telling you, in any culture, the word cult means the religious side. It's the people of the culture. So we have a people of the cultural America that was mainly Christian. Now they're trying to tear out the culture of Christianity, trying to tear out the religious side, saying we don't need a religion, we want just us, thinking that that's not a religion. Does that make any sense at all? And so we've got to see what's happening. Now, now let's move further. A cult was a religious side of culture created basically in the time of enlightenment after the Dark Ages. I'm going to show you where the word originated. There again, don't use the definition of cult that you have in contemporary today. <laughs> I'm just saying use the I want you for a moment to accept uh, the original definition of cult is the people of a culture. Somewhere something shifted as the Christian culture or the nation or Christian, something had, there was going to be a tearing apart that, that the enemy was somehow he's got to rip that Christian foundation out of the culture. And there's a sneaky way he's trying to do it. So, the first thing I want you to see that the cult was a religious side of culture. Just get that in your brain. I hope you're getting that. 
cult is religious out of culture, created basically in the time of enlightenment after the Dark Ages. We know the Dark Ages came out of the, you had a few other little ages in there, mid-dark and light-dark and kind of like making toast or something. But you got these eight coming out of the Dark Ages, and, and then you get into the age of enlightenment. Enlightenment from what? Enlightenment from a dark age. This is when human reasoning came on the scene. The term cult first appeared in the English in 1617, derived from the French cult, C-U-L-T-E, meaning worship. That's what the word means, French word, which in turn originated from the Latin word cultus, meaning care, cultivation, worship. The meaning devotion to a person or thing is from 1829. That's what that word means. It means it's a type of worship, cult. Now, something happened. For anthropologists and other behavioral scientists, culture is the full range of learned uh, human behavior patterns. The term was first used in this way by pioneer English anthropologist Edwin B. Taylor in his book, Primitive Culture, published in 1871. That's when in print the word, that word culture was then used from the word cult. Now, something else happened here. This changed during the Age of Enlightenment. Now, I know some people is going to leave from here and said, Alan said that we're a cult and it's a good thing. I can hear it now. <laughs> Let me quieten those voices. Uh, the religious side of culture was being divided from the term culture by reason and science. So we got into this age of enlightenment, reason and science. So reason and science had to take this religious foundational understanding of a culture group of Christianity and they wanted to rip the cult out of culture. Here's how they did it. It was then that the word occult was added to the definition of cult. Occult. Everybody knows what a cult is. Well, it originated when the age of enlightenment, they've got to rip out culture out of culture, out of their culture. They got to, so they started calling different things occult. That's where we now today get this idea that cult means it's got to be something that's of the occult. Right? There again, meaning of words changing. Gay. Male is a female. Female can be a male. My question to you, where, where's the occult at? Where's the, where's the demon at? It's with the messing of the words. That's the reason you can't mess with the Word of God. You can't mess with the Word of God. Can somebody say amen? Don't mess with the words. Because words make a difference. So we see they made a shift. What they did was they said, we're going to call that part occult to start giving it a new meaning. The religious side of the word culture was being demonized. Are you with me? Now watch this, because you're going to end up being the demon in this transition. That's where we are today. I'm trying to show you the world we're living in. The world sees a Christian church as demonized. A bunch of crazy fanatics. Didn't used to be that way. Now watch it. Religion was viewed then with suspicion. Once they changed it, then they changed the definition. Occult definition is supernatural, 
mystical or magical belief, practices, or phenomena. Now, they left the word supernatural in there, but basically mystical or magical beliefs. So it took on this different definition of the supernatural, and they left supernatural in there, but they started going, and then it gets more into demonology and all that, which I, I wasn't going to expose us to that type mess. Now, prefix, O.C., occult. Let's see why they put O.C. there. Uh, it means oblivious. This is what O.C. stands for. Look it up anywhere. The reason you put O.C. in front of a word, uh, well, oblivious, not aware of something, not mindful. That's what O.C. I mean, why would you put it? They're not, they're oblivious to the real truth. Uh, offensive or against common standards of, uh, of decency. Can you, it's just amazing to me how when you put that word O.C. in front of cult, it becomes a cult. What are they saying? They're saying you're religious. You have, you're oblivious to reality. That was the terminology and what was being used there. Now, the religious side of culture today is seen as human fantasy and falsehoods. So when you talk about the Christian culture, the lost world sees you as human fantasy and falsehoods. That's how they see the Christian world. Christian world used to be respected. Now, the Christian world is seen as an occult. The, we might somebody call somebody else a cult. Then we want to get a little worse. We'll call them a, from the occult. Not understanding that the world has redefined us as a cult and a occult. They see us as crazy. We're believing in, because during the time of, of, of the, this movement of, of enlightenment, the enlightenment mind of reasoning had to somehow get rid of this spiritual factor, this worshipful factor. What they didn't realize, they were creating their own religion. They thought they were getting rid of religion while they were creating their own religion. So, now that's very important. Now, they believe that there was human fantasy and falsehood like God, souls, rebirth, heaven, and hell. They think all of that's just a bunch of hoopla. That's, that's, that's where we are today when the world looks at us. When you see the far left and the progressiveness, they, people's thinking, they're a bunch of idiots. That's, that's, that's what they believe in human fantasy. Now, you will not have a sustainable culture unless God sustains it. So we see that we have this term culture being redefined, taking out the cult word. The cult word was demonized. And so by demonizing that word, we can now extract it from the word culture. Now, here's what I want you to see. Words matter. When you demonize that word and you extract it, something's happened on a spiritual level. You take the Ten Commandments out of the courthouse, something's happening. 
because his words have been moved in the spiritual realm. Economics and politics are in themselves not a culture, for they will have their God. In other words, the reason religion, everybody, there's this big move today of trying to take religion out of politics is, but you've got to understand, when you do this thing, separation of church and state, and people really believe that, they don't understand that every culture has a God. Because of our foundations right now, ours has been God. But there's all of these false gods out there trying to throw us out and insert another ungodly system, which we see happening. Now, uh, next week I'm going to pick up here on the URE. A cult means something, but at the end of cult, the URE means something in the spiritual realm. So let it rain, God. Let's stain. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you for this day. Lord, I hope and pray that today that our prophetic people got some truth out of what I was trying to say. I feel like I kind of stumbled, stumbled through it, Lord, but it's through your power and your revelation that your people can get what you want them to get. So it is our prayer, oh God, as we're on this journey to see how the enemy's trying to destroy the foundations of this country, that we can understand them and we know how to pray so that we can truly pray against these destructive factors. Lord, if there's anything I've said is not of you, not of you I pray it fall to the ground. If anything that I've said is of you, I pray it be quickened to our hearts. And I pray that this group and those watching online would be Bereans, as the Bible says, and they would test and search out the Scriptures to see if these things that have been said are true. Be with us, O oh God, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.